Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this Meet the Expert episode, Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton interviews Edith Andrek Harvey, Managing Partner of NextBridge Consulting LLC, on daily practices you can put in place to inspire, enable, and accelerate a culture of change makers. We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. My name is Teresa Moulton. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review, and I'm excited to have uh, our guest, Edith Onderek Harvey of NextBridge Consulting, join us and t- to talk about creating the changemaker culture. Let me tell you a little bit about Edith. Like you, leadership and cha- change expert Edith on Derek Harvey knows that leading in today's world is more challenging than ever. Constant change, escalating demands, increasing complexity. What does it take to be a great leader today? What will it take in the future? How do you, you create a change agile organization? Edith began helping companies manage and lead change in 1990 before most people ever thought about it. As a speaker to audiences across the globe, Edith shares with them that the more complex and rapidly changing the world is, the more leadership happens on a personal level. Leading means getting real, fully engaging and leading in the moment, not spending more time, just spending it more wisely. Edith has received rave reviews for bringing a unique mix of strategic insights and practical results-focused approach to her speaking, consulting, and facilitation work. She motivates people to lean into change, not only to advance their company's business strategy, but for the personal and professional benefits as well. She is the author of two Harvard Business Review articles, Five Behaviors of Leaders Who Embrace Change and Five Ways to Help Your Teams Be Open to Change. She is the author of the Marshall Goldsmith endorsed book, Getting Real, Strategies for Leadership in Today's Innovation, Hungry, Time-Strapped, Multitasking World of Work. Edith contributes to Forbes regularly. In addition, her insights have been featured in Fast Company, The New York Times, CNN.com, HR Executive, Yahoo Finance, CLO Media, and other media outlets. She has also published research on what leaders need to be successful in today's rapidly changing business environment. And with all of that, we are very lucky to have her uh, here. So welcome, Edith. Hi, Teresa. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's so nice to have you here. Um, I'm so excited about this topic, about creating the change maker culture. It's, um, culture is a topic that I think as change practitioners, we kind of hear the word culture. We might see a cultural assessment, but actually changing a culture is is a as a tough project, as you know. So it'll be nice to hear Absolutely. a little bit about that. Um, so before we dive into the content of the change maker culture, can you share with us um, how you got into the organizational development change management uh, profession? Sure, absolutely. So as, as you said in my intro, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. And I have a, um, when I got out of grad school, I had a degree in something called organizational communication and um, joined a small consulting firm at that time that was uh, really, you know, in the early days of working with companies to change cultures. They had a um, a focus on, you know, back then it was taking it from the traditional command and control down to, uh, you know, people being empowered and engaged and, and you know, really part of the process changing that management leadership style. And um, it started there and uh, just kind of got the bug 
for it. And um, it, it never really left me in terms of really thinking about, you know, how organizations deal with change, how people deal with change, how you help move an organization forward. Um, and uh, I've been, been focusing there for most of my career ever since. That's great. I mean, it's interesting. Now, what about your degrees? Did you get, you said you got a degree in organizational communications, was it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's interesting because um, when I was looking at getting degrees, it was kind of like you get a general management degree with like a minor maybe yeah. in organizational studies. Yeah. There yeah. weren't any degrees that were just about organizational change and now there are yeah. so it's funny how it is it has evolved it, it really is yeah and I got yeah my um you know undergrad was just kind of a general communication whatever they called it communication arts and sciences degree and uh you know as I got towards the end of college I was thinking you know hey I definitely want to go to grad school and you know, I kind of want to understand more how this all works inside organizations. And, you know, I had a great advisor at the time who, you know, directed me in this way. And uh, nice. it, uh, it really set me up well for the career I ended up in. Yeah. And it sounds like you, you do what you love and you love what you do, which is the whole, you know, that's the whole uh, secret to being happy in your career, right? And it doesn't it feel is. like work. It absolutely is. It absolutely uh -oh. is. Yeah. That's great. Well, um, diving right in. Can you tell us what does a culture of change makers look like? Sure. So I think, you know, when you're thinking about a culture of change makers, you have to think at a, you know, on, a, on at least a couple of different levels. You know, one is what is, what do leaders do in that type of organization um, to help create that culture and in that environment where people can feel free and be equipped to do the work of making change in organizations. So when I think about that, you know, I think of a, a handful of, of characteristics that you need. So, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, leaders who are really focused on building an environment of psychological safety and trust. Uh, you know, part of change is we're asking people to step out, to step into things that are uncomfortable, to try things that, pro you know, quite possibly aren't going to work. Uh, you know, make mistakes along the way, that kind of thing. And a lot of our traditional environments, um, it, it's not very comfortable to make a mistake. It's, you know, not a place where people want to go. It's not something they want to do. So creating that trust, you know, I think is really essential and has to be a part of it. You know, and when you look at kind of the statistics around how much do people trust their managers and their leaders in organizations, we have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, it's not, it's not always that high. I think too, that we need to think about as leaders, um, you know, there's things that we have to do that are, uh, you know, dilemmas that really demanded this both and way of thinking, because you can't just be constantly making change without executing against what you need to do today. You know, and you can't just execute today and not be thinking about what you need to do tomorrow. And so adopting this both and mindset, you know, is really essential too, so that it's not always an either or, you know, one of the things I hear from people, I just heard it yesterday, as a matter of fact, with the group that I was working with is, you know, well, I always look at changes like this thing that kind of intrudes on the work that I have to do that, you know, is this other thing that gets layered on, on, you know, what's expected of me. And it's really changed. And this was from a leader, you know, and so it's, it's changing that thinking to that it's it's not an addition to, it's a part of, um, you know, what you have to do and how you're doing that. You know, I think the other thing is that, you know, that desire to get 
diverse perspectives, to include lots of people in it, to not be thinking about, oh, this is going to be somebody else's job, or this is, you know, something that's only, you know, for the change management professionals in the organization, or for a select few people who are maybe at the top of the house making decisions about how we're going to change. But change is going to come from all over the organization. You know, the world is too complex. There's too many sources of information. There's too much changing too quickly in people's environments for just a few people at the top to really be thinking about that and to sort of have, you know, the antenna out, you know, being in that unique position as leaders throughout all levels in the organization of being able to grab onto, you know, the new things that you hear, the new things that you see, understanding what's happening with customers, what's happening in the marketplace, what's happening with technologies, and being able to pull that in and inform your company in doing that. So, you know, I think that's the leader part. And then, you know, the, the part with, you know, everybody who doesn't have the official leader title, which I think still means they can and should be leaders in the organization, is that, again, that willingness to take risks, that ability to be looking at the environment and say, yes, part of my job is to figure out what do we do better? What do we do differently? What do we maybe do that's completely new from what we've done before? You know, I think when we look at the experience we've all had with COVID over the last few months, mm -hmm. you know, crisis tends to bring that stuff out in people, you know, we mm -hmm. kind of go into survival mode and it's like, all right, we have to figure out a way to do things radically differently really fast. And it becomes all hands on deck. Um, and so taking some of that kind of experience, some of that kind of energy and translating it into the organization on an ongoing basis, I think is what, you know, that culture looks like. Again, never taking the eye off of, you have to execute against what you're doing today. You have to do that really well, but you also have to be thinking about where you're going tomorrow, how you're going to get there, what are you going to do, and make sure that there's that continual flow of ideas in the organization. Right. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I like the way that you talked about the leaders and the trust. And that's something that um, I think people innately know about quote unquote trust, but how, mm -hmm. what are some of the uh, coaching techniques or coaching messages that you provide to leaders to help them um, lead in a way to build trust? Yeah. So I have a particular trust model that I like to use. It was originally created by, David Meister, um, mm -hmm. and it's in a book called The Trusted Advisor. So he originally advised it from the perspective of, yeah, from the perspective of, hey, you're someone who, you know, is an advisor to, to organizations or leaders or whatever. How can you build trust with them? Um, and I started using it, you know, I don't know, probably 10 years ago now with leadership teams. And it really, really resonates with them because it takes this, this, you know, kind of fuzzy idea of trust and makes it tangible. And so the way I talk about it is, you know, you've got three pieces and then one part of it that mitigates all of it. So it's about cre credibility, reliability, and authenticity. And those three things, you know, are sort of additive in the way they build trust. And then that's all mitigated by perceptions of things being done purely out of self-interest. And the interesting thing I think about this model is that there's that overt stuff that you do, right? If you say, well, how do you build credibility? You know, people go, oh, well, you know, you have the right degree or the right experience or, you know, the right knowledge to be there. Absolutely, critically important. But the other side too is this idea of, you know, presence. Are you coming, uh, uh, you know, is your presence one where, again, as a leader, that you're truly 
presenting yourself as wanting to be collaborative, wanting to be open to others' perspectives, wanting to be open to, uh, you know, what's going on out there, new ways of thinking and doing, you know, or if you are, are someone who is, is speaking to someone who's a, you know, sort of at a different level of you in the organization or a different experience level. Um, you know, I think of change practitioners oftentimes, you know, and the executives, leaders that they speak with, are you coming to them with a presence as a partner or as someone who's kind of like on a different level here to sort of be a, a, a you know, someone who's, who's supporting or being of service of. And it's a really different dynamic, you know, when you think of it. And then the reliability piece is, right, we do what we say we're going to do. We, you know, the report's going to be there on Tuesday, Tuesday, the report's there on Tuesday. But then you also are, that you, it's about communicating in the way that the individual wants to be communicated to, that it makes sense, you know. The really simple example is, you know, are they a 35,000 foot, foot person where they want it on, you know, one PowerPoint slide, or are they a detailed person where they want it in a four-page detailed narrative report? Uh, you know, because we, we, we think, we just assume that other people know how we want to be communicated to, but it has a huge impact on whether I trust you or not. And that authenticity is about having a, building a real relationship with someone, that it's not just transactional, it's not just the work that needs to get done, but really about connecting on a human level. And all of that, of course, you build all that great trust, but the minute somebody thinks that you're doing it purely out of self-interest, it all goes away. Um, right. And so, you know, and, and I, I use the example of, you know, when your four-year-old comes to you and says, mommy, you're the most beautiful mommy in the world, right? Your first, your first thought is, well, what do you want from me? Because <laughs> you know that it's coming from a place of self-interest. Um, and, you know, so when we do that, we shoot ourselves in the foot. So, you know, I think sometimes as organizations, you know, when we're thinking about change, when we're thinking about why we're doing change, when we're thinking about our, the North Stars we're creating, you really have to be thoughtful about, are you positioning it too much as it's only about the company's self-interest mm -hmm. and not thinking about the self-interest of all the other stakeholders, you know, your employees, your customers, your suppliers, everybody else who's involved in it, mm -hmm. um, that that can really have a disadvantage when it comes to building trust. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I think that one of the hardest things for leaders is to really take what you're saying and execute on it. So they mm -hmm. need, you know, I mean, we're, we need to step up into the trusted advisor role like you spoke of. And I know Daryl Connor's work is is um, currently uh, around the topic of character and presence as well. And it really is something that um, I think change practitioners should need to pay attention to because it allows them to go from working on in the like a technician on a project to yep. you know actually leveraging themselves up with more influence to work with the higher level organizations and it depends mm -hmm. on that presence and that conversation and your ability to build trust so I think mm -hmm. I think that was really um really important you know yeah, and i think and i'm sorry to interrupt but i think no. that point you made about leverage is so important too mm -hmm. um that you know as as change practitioners and oftentimes your organization paints you this way right that as a change <laughs> practitioner changes your thing right mm -hmm. you're going to take care of it you're going to do it for us you're going to make this happen that it's this little mm -hmm. kind of sidebar thing that happens over here but you know by building that trusting relationship you know you are able to leverage it and begin to help leaders understand and become capable of being those change leaders in the organization too and really begin thinking about it as 
this is just the way we do business. You know, mm-hmm. this is part of what's going to make us successful. Um, so I think that point you made about leverage is super important. Yeah. And it just reminds me of um, what you were talking about in terms of your uh, client who needs to think about change as part of business as usual right now versus, you know, a program that's going to come down the pike and hit them in the Mm -hmm. head. And this is the change. I think we're in the same situation as change practitioners. You know, if you're an external change practitioner, you know, you have to really manage the expectations of, you know, we're going to stay here until it's executed. So it's not just a handoff and here's these external people who don't own the change. But if you're an internal change practitioner, you have a version of that to manage as well. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're our change people and you're going to do the change, you know, people are thinking they're outsourcing the change that the whole organization needs to embrace to you and your role. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And how you manage that expectation and position yourself in your role really drives the level of breadth and depth of success that you can have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that- as you see the rise of, of, you know, change management offices or transformation offices, you know, things like that, you know, that follows on kind of that PMO model, uh, you know, again, thinking about is it being outsourced to them or is their expertise being leveraged throughout the organization to really begin instilling some of this within, you know, the people who run the business day in, day out. Right. Yeah. I agree. You know, and the thing, um, the thing that I know we've spoken about before is that um, you believe we need to approach change differently now than we have in the past. And why is that? So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a couple of things. So, you know, way, way back in the day when I started this work, we're, we're all familiar with the change acceptance curve, right? And that was kind of, you know, the mantra. And back then, change sort of did tend to be one monolithic thing that the organization was doing. You know, we're putting in an information system. We're changing a work process. You know, it was kind of the one thing that was impacting people at the time. And so, you know, kind of taking it through that curve and managing in that way um, really worked and made sense. Um, And now what you see is that people are experiencing multiple changes at any given time. And the changes that you're experiencing, you know, are different from the changes somebody else in the organization is experiencing, which is different from the changes your supplier. So we're just all in the midst of it all the time. I think the other thing too, is that traditionally we've looked at change as, um, you know, if you go back to that traditional change acceptance curve, you know, we've looked at it as that it is, um, you know, something that causes us to feel loss, to feel, uh, you know, sometimes despair, that, you know, we're going to have a negative reaction to it, you know, and, and you know, it's that part of change management or change leadership is working with people to get them out of that negative state of mind into buying into this change. And there's absolutely going to be changes that are like that. But I think if we maybe flip the curve on its head and think of it instead as almost a, a learning curve, you know, when we're kids, we get excited about learning new things. You know, you mm-hmm. want to learn how to ride a bike. When you're 16, you want to learn how to drive a car. You know, you want to learn how to do different things. And so if we think about, you know, change being more that kind of mindset, you know, someone said at a conference I was at recently, and it really resonated with me that, you know, people are built for positive disruption. Mm-hmm. You know, as human beings, we spend our lives being you know, positively disruptive. That's what Mm -hmm. growth is about. You know, people talk about the growth mindset and that kind of thing. And so by thinking about change in that way, 
you know, it really changes the model and changes the way that we're approaching people rather than, oh, I have to be concerned about introducing change and, oh, you know, the negative reactions that people are going to have and that. Not that that's not going to be there for some people, but there's probably a lot more people that when you engage them more in this, hey, you know, let's talk about how you're going to, you know, how, how we're going to do this, how we're going to learn this, how we're going to build this and create and build that positive disruption model. I think it creates a really different narrative around what people's expectations are for change and being involved in change and helping change happen. Yeah, I really like that idea of flipping the acceptance curve on its head and, you know, turning it into almost a curiosity-based learning mm -hmm. model, learning mm -hmm. curve, because mm -hmm. um, it really does put a different lens on it for people. Uh-huh. It really does. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's even something I have to catch myself doing, right? I mean, forever we've said, oh, change is hard, right? right. You know, and I'm like, okay, I have to stop saying that, you know, because it just reinforces that, that model. Um, you know, yes, there's challenges along the way. Absolutely. But, you know, think about the opportunities we have within it. Think about how we can all grow, how we can all move forward, you know, the benefits that we can achieve by being part of this uh, mm -hmm. and making this happen. Uh, so it is, is, you know, one of those, uh, one of those habits that's easier to talk about than to break, but we all got to work on it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I am familiar with um, that mindset as well. You know, and, and to me, it comes from the 1990s uh, re-engineering change management with Michael mm -hmm. Cameron and, mm -hmm. you know, his whole process teaching around, you know, changes this, not that, changes this, yeah. not that. And, yeah. and to kind of do the conceptual sell to people about change, because back then that's what, that's, you know, what the sale was. I mean, people still had to experience the change, but you had to get over the hump of, you know, no, this is change and define what it is. But you got yeah. a lot of those black and white statements that yeah. um, now we're kind of breaking down those practices to mm -hmm. be able to get to the bull fan that you were talking about, as uh -huh. well as, you know, stepping into the trusted advisor space. And um, what do you think some of the impacts are uh, for folks that want to step into the trusted advisor space um, regarding the change maker culture? Gosh, that's such a good question. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I think one of the things that's, again, is really important is starting with yourself. And again, if I'm talking about it from a change practitioner perspective, you know, you were mentioning before that oftentimes we're perceived in the organization as sort of, you know, technicians around change. Mm -hmm. And that, um, you know, in, in some ways, you know, our, our behavior sometimes reinforce that, you know, we, uh, we're, we're not, uh, you know, positioning ourselves from the way we talk about change and think about change and the asks that we make of the leaders in the organization or how we respond to the pushback and those kinds of things that, um, that sometimes, you know, kind of keep us in that mm -hmm. technician role. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, part of it, I think, begins with that self-awareness, mm -hmm. you know, being reflective about what am I doing? How am I approaching these interactions that I'm having with, especially senior leaders in the organization? How am I setting expectations? What am I doing there? And how am I either breaking the mold out of that technician kind of mindset or how am I reinforcing that? Because right, they don't begin to see you as a partner until you present yourself as a mm -hmm. partner. Mm -hmm. You know, I think is also, you know, a second piece of it is um, 
you know, that need to be really fluent in what's going on with the business too, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and any professional runs into this, you know, whether you're an HR person or a finance person or, you know, any of those kinds of things, but that you're really clear about what's happening in the business and how this all relates to where the business is going and what kind of challenges are these people facing? And yes, that your project's not the only thing that they're working on and, you know, or that, you know, again, this change thing is, you know, well, it's kind of like it's this distraction that comes in when I'm trying to get quote unquote, my real work done. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, some of those things are really important. Um, And then, you know, shifting that conversation, you know, and again, this goes back to that trust. You have to have that level of trust. You have to have um, that partnership mindset to really kind of buy the right um, to be able to be pushing back and influencing and, 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 you know, taking people sometimes to places that feel a little bit uncomfortable for them Mm -hmm. in order for them to grow into the new and different kind of leader that they need to be. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, from my experience, you know, talking with change practitioners, um, people are looking for the how-to model on how mm-hmm. to, you know, what do I say to influence? What do I say yeah. to manage expectations? You know, how do I reframe a difficult situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's harder to find in terms yeah. of technique. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and it is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's harder to find and it's, you know, I think that's part of the role that, you know, um, you know, happens over time, you know, as you, you know, again, if we think about, you know, change, change, uh, you know, practitioners, you know, needing coaches too, or yes. you know, thinking about that, you know, that it's, it's, you know, there's not going to be a manual. It's not going to be necessarily, okay, when the, when the leader says this, you say that. Right. Um, but, you know, again, it's helping them think, you know, situationally and critically and about, you know, how do I put myself in the, the shoes of that leader to be thinking about what are they really asking? What is their pushback really about? You know, how do I really influence and have them think about it? Um, so that we're able to move forward um, and and make that happen. Yeah, and I th- I think that's where coaching skills come in to be mm-hmm. really important. I remember when I um, got certified to be a coach. This was like two thousand two thousand and three or something. Yeah. Um, I remember the difference that it made to my management consulting work. It felt like I had taken like a super pill or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm actually, you know, facilitating conversations and I'm self-managing better and, you know, I'm really listening and, and that impacted my presence. Yes. Yes. And, you know, yeah. And, you know, and, and again, if you kind of go back to that, that trust model, you know, I think sometimes we get stuck in that, well, you know, I have to show my credibility. I have to show this person that I belong here. I have to show this person about why change is so important. When sometimes the behavior we need is actually the reverse of that. You know, mm-hmm. it's that coaching behavior that you were just talking about. That I need to be a really active listener. That I need mm-hmm. to be really present. That mm-hmm. I need to be really reflective back to the individual about what they're saying and what mm-hmm. they're thinking and how a different perspective might help them. And that that's actually the thing that can help build that credibility and can help build that authenticity in that relationship far more than, well, you know, let me tell you the 15 reasons about why, you know, I know more about change than you do and why I should be sitting here at the table with you. 
Right. I, I mean, it's, it's such a, a great point. If, if there's one thing that change practitioners could take away from, um, you know, insights from, from experienced uh, practitioners like yourself, it really comes down to um, what is that secret sauce in building mm -hmm. the trust? Really, what, where does it come from? And, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm hearing you talk about is it comes from actually, you know, asking the questions, doing some of the yeah. guiding work, um, yep. giving that listening that, you know, senior executives really don't get yes. a lot of people to listen to. They can't trust yeah. anybody, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, it's lonely, you know, they, lonely, lonely at the top. Yes, it's lonely, lonely. I tell a story of um, many years ago, uh, I joined a, a, a large regional bank. I'm in the Boston area. I joined a large regional bank and in an internal role. And um, just before I joined, they had done their first employee engagement survey. And out of that came three or four teams focused on, you know, different key things that came out of um, out of that survey. And I was asked to facilitate one of the teams through their work. And um, you know, they put a lot, the, the, the bank put a lot of credence on these teams, you know, literally the sponsors for them were the chairman, the president, the vice chairman, you know, so very high level supporters of the projects. And about halfway through, you know, our sponsor came in and kind of checked in on, on the work that was going on with the group at the time. And they, um, uh, you know, and it was our CEO and he was sitting there and there was someone in the team um, who worked at the branch level and she was one of those fearless sort of people. And, you know, as part of our conversation, she shared some kind of hard truths with the CEO about what was going on and the impact that it was having and some of those kinds of things. He was so impressed with that. Mm. With someone who was willing to be honest with him and tell him what was really going on and, and, you know, share some perspective that from then going forward, he set up a coffee with her once a month. Wow. To just get her perspective, to get, you know, her ideas, you know, her thoughts, that kind of thing. Because she was willing to, you know, again, kind of be there and be that presence uh, for him uh, and, and actually have some conversations with him that he really needed to have, but nobody else was willing to share the truth with him. That's really, really a compliment to, yeah. to, to her. Yeah. That's yeah. really, that's amazing. And, you know, and I think that's, that's the difference between being perceived as a trusted advisor and mm -hmm. someone who does change projects. Mm -hmm. And so the, the shift in the role is, is so important yet, you know, there's nothing wrong with just doing change projects. Sure, um, it's sure. just to know that if, even if you embrace some of those um, skill sets of the mm -hmm. trusted advisor and you use them at whatever level in the organization, mm -hmm. it's going to make your life easier talking yes. to recalcitrant stakeholders. Yep. Yep. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's about, you know, it's about influencing wherever you are, right. uh, you know, and, and if, if change projects is the work you're doing and they're still critically important, you know, they have to be done, uh, you know, and, and that's where you can, you know, begin doing a little bit of this shift, you know, creating some of this, you know, change maker thinking among people outside of right. just you as the change practitioner, you know, the leaders, your stakeholders, even your project team, um, you're going to be getting a lot more leverage and a lot more bang for your buck than you have in the past. Yeah, that, um, I think that's really well said. Um, you know, and then just to get down to, um, 
another aspect that we had talked about, and I know we'll do another podcast more specifically on this, which is um, the topic of change teams or teams that you're working with, you know, how, how do you actually um, help leaders create teams that are open to change? Yep. Yep. So I think first and foremost, you have to have a really compelling purpose. Uh, you know, articulated to them, that North Star. Um, I often say that change without a purpose becomes chaos. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, to make sure that we all have a really clear picture of the what is this, the why are we doing this, and then it's tapping in at some emotional level with someone, you know, if we're doing change to quote unquote, increase return on shareholder value, uh, you know, I'm not uh, quite sure how excited all of us are going to get about that. But, you know, thinking about, um, you know, what, uh, you know, what the real purpose is behind it. And then it's really in, in it, it's not necessarily huge changes, but it's those daily interaction kind of things that you do. You know, I think storytelling is incredibly mm. important. Telling stories of those people who have, um, done something beyond the status quo, who have, you know, looked and seen new opportunities, who have made changes, uh, you know, those kinds of things, you know, uh, people, people live in story, when we Mm -hmm. share data, when we share facts, we're automatically turning it into stories in our head. Mm -hmm. And the things that we remember are the stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the more a leader can incorporate that storytelling into it, the more it begins to make it real. You know, I think the other thing too, is, you know, as we all know, change is not just an intellectual exercise, change is an emotional exercise. Mm -hmm. And so creating those opportunities for people to ask questions, to share perspectives, to share the feelings and emotions that they're having around something, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I really think that there's this thing that's not going right, but I'm kind of scared to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, well, all right, let's talk about that. You know, why is that? You know, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that experience that you're having. And idea opportunities to share their insights. I talk about a a process that I've used in the past that I call a listening post where managers can structure sort of a 30, 45 minute meeting where you give people the opportunity to, in a very benign way, I tell them to do it through metaphor or analogy, kind of like, how are you feeling right now? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I feel like I'm spinning five plates on sticks and I'm just waiting for the one to fall or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, you know, but then talk about, you know, the changes that are going on, what's working, what's, what's not working, what could be better, what, again, they're experiencing around that from both a, a, an emotional level as well as, you know, actual impact level, you know, as well, all this is going on and I can't get this customer issue resolved over here because I'm spending so much time on that. Mm-hmm. And then you know, use the opportunity for the group to, uh, you know, brainstorm and develop some ideas around how do you address some of those things that are happening, or how to leverage those good things that are happening to, you know, help move them forward. And it allows you to take that quick pulse on the group, um, you know, and deal with, again, that emotional side, as well as, you know, the task side of change and really help people feel involved and also help people feel listened to Mm -hmm. um, and that people are connecting with them. You know, those what if questions, I think is another thing that can be really, you know, powerful. I call them the innovator questions. You know, what if 
we were somebody outside our industry, how might we do this? What mm -hmm. if we could blow everything up and start all over again? What would we do? You know, whatever those what if questions are, like, to get people out of that thinking of, you know, just kind of the day in, day out, this is how we do it, this is what we do, this is, is uh, you know, what our, um, our way of, of being, way of working is. Another thing is to set expectations for everybody that mistakes are gonna happen. Mm -hmm. You know, holding up your hand when a mistake happens, knowing that, uh, you know, it's, it's okay and treating them as, um, uh, you know, again, as, as just sort of part of the way things work, right. uh, you know, in that, you know, not making it so, oh, it's the end of the world, this change, oh my gosh, you made this mistake, what are we going to do now, you know, right. and it happens, uh, what are we going to learn from it, how are we going to move forward from it, what does this teach us about going forward? Because, you know, part of change is experimentation too. Mm. And all experiments are not going to work, uh, mm -hmm. you know? And so the more we can be saying, all right, so even if it doesn't work, what are we learning from it? You know, what's the mistake is going to help us there. And then finally, you know, that cross-boundary collaboration, that network building, mm -hmm. you know, we all tend to get in our silos. Um, and the more we can get people talking across the boundaries, mm -hmm. the more we can engage with those different perspectives, bring those those different ways of thinking in mm -hmm. the more the uh you, you know we'll we'll be learning and getting that sense that there's uh you know different ways of thinking about things different perspectives even just plain old different information that we didn't know mm -hmm. about uh you know maybe what's causing something to work in a particular way or uh you know why something happens in a in a, in a particular way or just different ideas that we never even thought of that really begin kind of, you know, fertilizing that idea of, you know, what could we do differently? How might we think differently? What are some changes that we could do? Yeah, I, I love that because, you know, coming back to the concept of a change maker culture, what you just spoke about to me um, really talks about how do you build some of the, the give or the elasticity mm -hmm. into the culture mm -hmm. to give it the texture of, you know, integrating change, weaving that into the fabric. And it's these, yeah. it's these practical um, questions. It's the mindset to ask these questions. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's the, really the commitment, I think, to go into a room, regardless of what type of intervention it is or what type of change meeting it is, regardless of what level it is in the company, going in with that headset that, you know, you really want to, you really want to extract and help people extract the best thinking that they can to so that they can actually embrace what flexibility and agility and change looks like in their day-to-day -day world and yeah. and it is it's the emotions it's the mindset and then it, and then it's you know pro, you know some of the validation that they get from doing that in their own team mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um yeah so that really makes a lot of sense so um as we kind of pare down here towards the end of our podcast, I wonder, uh, Edith, is there, is there like a key message that you want to impart um, on this topic of change maker culture and, you know, what you think, what you think would be most important for our audience to, to take away? Yeah, so, 
you know, I mean, I think a couple of things, you know, one is, you know, this whole idea of, of building agility into the organization. I don't mm-hmm. think that it's a nice to have anymore. I think it's a need to have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, again, I think this COVID experience has sort of, you know, smacked us all in the face with that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and thinking about that. And that when you think about agility, and again, if you're trying to kind of sell this idea of agility within your organization, it's not the either or, you know, it's not, oh, well, we either focus on today or we build for tomorrow. But again, it's that both and, and that it's that both and that's going to create that advantage for you and for your organization. And then I think the second point is that just as you were saying, the culture change, the change within a team, you know, the change within a leader comes at those small daily interaction levels. Um, you know, are you asking the what if questions? Are you making it an okay space for people to make mistakes? Are you using those as learning opportunities? Are you talking about changes that opportunity, curiosity, you know, growth mindset versus, you know, our traditional change curve kind of thinking? And it's a small daily things, you know, those small behavioral shifts that are what's going to shift the organization over time and shift, you know, again, whether whatever level it's at, the leader, the team, the organization. Um, And then it's not just some, you know, big initiative that gets announced from the mountaintop but that it's really at that level and that as change practitioners, you can influence people around that every day mm-hmm. in the way you're approaching it, in the way you're role modeling some of those things. And again, as we talked about coaching them in turn to begin to develop some of that capability and skill set and way of thinking and integrating it into their daily work. Yeah, great points. And Edith, if people uh, listening want to get a hold of you, where would they go? How would they reach out? Sure. So, um, so my email, because of my last name, as you announced at the beginning, I have kind of a complicated name. My email is sort of long. Um, so the easiest way to do it is info at nextbridgeconsulting.com. Um, and I see all of those. And that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Or you can give me a call at 978 475-8424. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Um, you it's bet. really Thank been you a, for inviting me. Oh, I, I love it. It's been so much fun speaking with you and, and you've got so many good ideas. So um, I look forward to our next podcast about me teams. Me too. Me okay, too. Okay, great. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Edith. We hope you enjoyed this Meet the Expert episode of the Change Management Review podcast with Teresa Moulton, Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review, and Edith Andrick-Harvey. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.